Well, we are starting a new series on God's love today, kind of building a case here. And um, I, I want to start off with a question, though, because this will kind of lead us into this. And this is what led me into this series in the first place. The question is this, does God love us unconditionally? Now, before you answer right away, it's, one of, it's, a, it's a trick question. Because we go through John 3.16, most of us know that, or parts of it, that God so loved the what? The world. That he gave his only son. And so, see, God is love, so therefore God loves me unconditionally. But it seems like there's a condition that whoever believes. Do you see that? I mean, I understand when people say, well, God loves us unconditionally. I know gen- what they're saying because... A blanket statement is God, God is love, and that's what we're going to dive into today. But God loves the world, but where people take that is that that means that God loves you no matter what you do, no matter what life you live, and that's where it's a yes, no. Um, and I'm going to tell you, this is me create some antsiness in you as we unpack this for the next four weeks that God loves us unconditionally, yes, but extends the fullness of his love to those who have met the condition. Does that make sense? I mean, God is generally love, but it seems like throughout Scripture, it doesn't mean, John Piper talks about what love, unconditional love doesn't mean. It doesn't mean a saving love, because everyone is not going to be saved. Jesus said that himself. It's not a love that's going to justify all sinners because that's not going to be true either because it's through faith that you were justified. It's not a love that will extend you and get you into heaven because not everyone gets into heaven. It's not a love that talks about this intimate fellowship that we have with God, the Father, because that's based on our relationship with him. And so even though I, I, I understand the concept that God loves us unconditionally, we have to kind of narrow this down, that God loves us in any condition we are in, but he demands repentance for us to change our condition. See, God is love. He's extended that to the entire world, but he also asks, if you believe in me, if you receive that, if you repent and become a follower of him, all of a sudden the full extent of his love is poured out on us. And it was based on that question that I... I said, yeah, we need to have a series on just, let's unpack what God's love is. And on vacation in June, I picked up a book by R.C. Sproul called God's Love. Fancy title. Um, God's Love. And it's a great book. I encourage you to read it. R.C. Sproul, he died in 2017. You can, I mean, the first, one of the first books I ever read as a believer in Christ was The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And what I love about his, uh, over 100 books he's written, and if you go on YouTube, you can see his teachings and his sermons. He comes from more Reformed theology, is that it's unpacking this, and that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks, is unpack. Today, we're just going to say what love is and what love isn't. Next week, we'll talk about the loyal and everlasting love of God. The week following, we'll talk about the love and hate of God, because they're both there. And then week four, we'll unpack what Sproul calls the threefold love of God. So when we talk about love, the main point we're going to go through today is this. Love is ultimately from God. 
Wherever love is shown, it points back to its owner and source, God himself. Now, the scripture that we'll be taking this from is found in 1 John chapter 4, so you can flip there to, to, as we unpack a couple verses there. Understand, God reveals himself. God wants to be known. He, he wants to be understood. He wants to, to, for us to see him, and he's given us several means for that to happen. One, he's given creation. Romans 1 says in creation that everything points to the fact that God exists. He's given us the word of God. That's where he has revealed himself. It's still a mystery, but there are things that we can discover about God, but it's found in the word. And that's why we keep pointing, you gotta be in the word, you gotta be in the word, you gotta be in the word to discover that. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who, who is a reflection of the father. What you see me, when you see me, you have seen the father. So when you study the life of Jesus Christ and what he did, you see what God the father is really like. And those are the three modes that he has given us in order to know this. Now, in your notes, um, on the back side of the notes, there's th two big sections. I'm going, wow, this is a lot of notes. We're not going to go, that's for your study later. Because it talks about some of the names of God which show his character, who sh which show who he is by the names that have been given him. I mean, it, technically he only has one name, that's Yahweh. All the other names are descriptions of him. But then there's a, a list of the attributes or characteristics of God that you can go through. These are what identifies God. And they, this is not a limit. Of, there's more to the list because there's, we'll never get down to the bottom of God. But God wants to be known. We will never know God fully, but he has given us enough evidence for a lifetime to pursue him. I always thought at the beginning of this, man, I'm on a fast track. I know God. I know everything about God. I'm still learning every single day. I go into the word more about God. And the best way I described it was this way. You never will reach the bottom of who God is, but the swim down is stunning. It's kind of like a marriage relationship. I mean, marriage is getting to know. And when I, you know, I do couples counsel, oh, yes, we know everything there is to, about each other. And those of us who have been married longer, we know that's not true. I mean, 36 years and I'm still learning about my bride. So that it never ends. But with God, it will never end. But man, the swim down is magnificent. If you take the time, because the promise of scripture is this, Jeremiah 20, 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All of your heart. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. God wants to be sought after. That's technically what intimacy really is about, is seeking after. Into me see, if you break it down that way that God wants to be known. And it's important to remember that as we speak about the attributes of God, we are speaking about his characteristics, his qualities, his traits, if you will. And you can't divide them from each other. When you talk about the immutability or the unchangingness of God, that is tagged to love and that is tagged to holiness. They're all interconnected together. You can't just say, God is love. I don't want any of the rest of the stuff. It's kind of like, I'm sure you've looked through one of those. There's a little kaleidoscope. It's, you know, what I love about these things. I've always liked these things. It didn't take much to entertain me as a kid. <laughs> 
But as you turn it, you know, all of a sudden the colors change and depending on how many colors are here are all the different things that are gonna be reflected. But if I shake it up and look at it again, well, it's different again because the colors shake around and now that's what's spinning around. And that, man, now it's totally different. There's spinning wheels and everything else. And guys, this is God. When I look here, I go, oh, that's who God is. And then I come back to the word again. Whoa, I didn't see that before. Look at the yellows and the greens and the spinning around the reds. That is how God is. It's a kaleidoscope of unlimited colors. We will never totally reach the bottom of it. But here's the problem today is that people want God to be more like a buffet line. I'll take a little of this. I'll take a little God's love. I, I don't like the judgment and justice. And I'll take the faithfulness. I want the faithfulness. And they just kind of scoop what they want on their plate. That's what's, that deconstructing God is the biggest thing around now. I'm going to take this. And that's why everyone will go to God is love. And they won't focus in on anything else. When God is all those, you can't separate God's love from his holiness. You can't separate God's love from his justice. You can't separate God's love from his faithfulness. They are all interconnected together. What you do, if you have this buffet line, I want a little of this, a little of this, is basically you have your own little idol, because that's what idol worship is all about. I'm going to make a God to my suit, what fits me, what I like. I don't like this stuff. I just want to focus in on that. And that's what society is trying to do today, especially when it comes to God's love, because that thing is just thrown out. According to the dictionary, this is what love is, an intense feeling of deep affection. Now, the thing is about these things about love, they're part of, that, that is true, but that's why I love John's rewrite of that song. It's more than an emotion. It's more than just affection. We talk about love that it's just feeling in my stomach when I, when I saw her for the first time or when you held that puppy your boyfriend gave you, I just, it just, your knees buckle at it. Or one definition, it's an attitude of acceptance that makes saying I'm sorry an unnecessary exercise. I almost threw up when I read that first time <laughs> because obviously whoever wrote that's never been married, okay? <laughs> never. And to others, it, love is just a chemical reaction that happens between two people, which is technically a definition for lust. I mean, do you remember the first time you fell in love, puppy love? I mean, I, I, I do, but you're the final one, my dear. <laughs> I was in grade school, it was like fifth grade. There's a girl down the street. And I didn't talk to her directly because you used a friend to talk to them. So I went to Jim, Jim, and she, hey, can you see if she likes me? And oh, then he, yeah, she likes you. And we met down the block and that's ever whatever happened from that. It never, it, I was in fifth grade. But I do remember seeing Gwen for the first time as I was tuning my guitar. She was on the couch to the left of me and I was wondering, what is this high school student doing in our college group? And then she gave me a card to her fitness place at Crystal Springs Health Club in Stockton. And I joined it the next week. Because why? How else am I gonna ever got not get to know her? And I had my first protein shake there. Because why? She ran the, the health store and the protein bar, the shake bar. I'll, yeah, I'll take, do you want some beef pollen in that? Sure, because why? I guess, and so as I'm drinking this, watching this bee pollen with little bee legs in it coming down, that's love right there. I knew it. I was swallowing bees' knees, and then 
The Bible, when it talks about love, that uses four different words to describe love. We have one word, love, that tries to describe it all. Greeks, here's four of them. Eros, a romantic sexual love. Phileos, a friendship kind of love. Storge, family affection. Agape, a sacrificial love. And all these are within the scripture. And so love itself is this word that has so many meanings along the way, layered with so many diverse sentimental images, has love lost its power? The actual meaning of the word. Because God's definition of love is different than the world's definition. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 is where we're going to work through. It says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There it is. See, Tim, it is God is love. So let's do a little, let's do a little mathematics 101. Now, for you young people, I'm going to use old math. Because if this was new math, I would need 20 slides to get to the same equation, okay? So mathematics 101. Here we got 4 plus 3 equals what? 7. Okay, four plus three equals seven. But does seven equal four plus three? Yes, there's, there's no trick here, all right? Just, just, okay. There's no difference between seven and four plus three. Will you agree to that? Yes, simple math, all right? They're identical in numerical value. They're identical in their content. But if we apply that same principle that's being applied today to God's love, then we have God is love, or love is God. And if we replace it with an equal sign, God equals love, which of course it does, God equals love. And love equals God. Now here's the problem with this. Is that when we do that, I can assume that if I have love, I must have God. You follow me here? So therefore, if I have love, then I must have God. Whatever my definition of love is, because God is love, therefore, with the equal sign, the love is equals God. So I have God, and I can take the word love and lift it up to a divine plan, to a divine plane of existence. So therefore, anything that I say is love must be godly, by definition. And that's why sex has been elevated as the real show of love. And that's why within cults, within religions of the past and religions today, why sex is a connection point to God. Why sex, that's why they have temple prostitutes in the Old Testament. That's why they still have prostitutes today within, the, within certain cult religions. Because they've elevated love to godliness. If one can do something in the name of love, it is blanketed with a divine approval. Now, the word love has been used in such hellish ways. September 30th, I read about it. I said, there's no way that's true. You know when you read a story and you go, there's no way, like a lot of news. But then I found it. September 30th, it was a... a, a a hearing in Congress, Democrats, Republican, and their, their hearing is about the Texas law abortion that just passed in Texas. And there in front of a microphone 
was a gal who was an abortion doctor in Texas, and she literally said these words. I had to rewind it several times because I couldn't believe she said it. Abortion is an act of love. And she believed it. Because why? If you lift something up like that, when, wait a minute, killing a child in the womb is, an, womb is an act of love. That's why, because they wouldn't have to face hardships and, you know, all these kind of things. But see, that's what you do when you, when you elevate the word love above the part where it's supposed to be. First John 4, 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The text does not say that any act of love is a divine act. It does not say that anything associated with our understanding of love must be from God. Because you take this lovey-dovey feeling and you're beginning to say, see, this is love because I, I, there's a pit in my stomach and I just can't understand it, so it must be from God. Or the pizza you had last night. You know, which one is it? And that's why it's frequently connected. It says that God is wise, but all wisdom comes from God. God is beautiful, but all beauty comes from God. God is good, but all goodness comes from God. God is love because all love comes from God. Love is, is ultimately from God. Wherever love is shown, it points back to the owner, its source, God himself. Again, let's go back to John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been what? Born of God. And knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so he's talking about it. There's a connection here that there's only a few that really are going to understand the love of God and be able to love like God. It's kind of like a restrictive sense, a restrictive type of love that characterizes God as awakened in those who've been born again. Guys, it's a, it's, it's a divine gift that he has given, a supernatural origin that love has. And he's saying, guys, God is love. Everything about God is love. And the only way for you to experience the fullness of God's love is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you will never understand God's love, and you'll never be able to show God's love. Does that make sense? God is saying, guys, you, you have to be connected to me for the true love of God to come through you. It's not this feeling, not, not that love is not a feeling. Jonathan Edwards, um, who was a pastor in the early 1700s, he said this, love of complacency and love of benevolence. He divided love in two categories. Now, what's interesting about love of complacency, when I first read it, complacency, to me, that's always been a negative word. That's usually how it's used. You're so complacent, right? I mean, that's how we technically, that's how I've used the word. It wasn't, I'm going, that can't be the right word, or did it have a different meaning in the 1700s? But I went to the dictionary, and complacency literally means to be content to be satisfied. Now we take that to the end, end degree where I'm, I'm just content, I'm not gonna do anything. But complacency, love of complacency where I'm happy, it's what love gives to me. So if I have a love of complacency, if, if my love of complacency is toward pizza, 
I don't know why I'm on a pizza theme all of a sudden. Pizza is that, see, pizza brings me satisfaction. Pizza, the taste of some pizzas, brings me encouragement. I mean, you go to Smack Pie, which I love Smack Pie pizza, and you get that white sauce, and then you get the cheese, but then you can get the big chunks of mozzarella on there too. And you double up on pepperoni, you throw some onions, some artichoke hearts, and, and maybe even some spinach. Give it a little color. Now, my wife's pizza, when she orders a pizza, it's a rainbow of colors on that. It's got tomatoes. And anyway, okay, that's not enjoyable to me. That, that, that's not where I want to find my taste. And there's just a certain satisfaction when you dump probably way too much Parmesan cheese on top of that and some chili flakes of that. Okay, some of you are already hungry for lunch. All right, smack pies open. You can order before and pick it up on the way home. It brings me satisfaction. A place can bring me satisfaction. Going up to the mountains, going to the beach, Riding on my Harley brings me satisfaction. That's what love of complacency is. It's what it gives to me. Love of benevolence is what I give to them. Now, we're going to unpack benevolence in week four a little bit more. But this benevolence is because I want to give good to something else. So if I want to give something good to my wife or something good to my kids or something good to my friend, if I want to extend, and that's why many churches have a benevolent fund where they're giving extensions. And we get to do that as a church. We get to bless this group and this organization and send money to this place over and above what we've always committed because we're being benevolent. We're being good. We're being, oh, it's that act of kindness that we're given. So there's, Two kinds of love, love of complacency where I'm totally content. It's what it brings to me and the love of benevolence of what I give out. And God does both of these. Now, when you talk about the word love, love is found in the Bible as a noun, but more times than often, it's in the Bible as a verb. It's an action. The Bible is more concerned about what love does than what love is. It's how it's benevolent. It's how it's extended to one another. In culture today, it's all about feeling. It's all about being passive. It's more about the feeling than, than having action. It's something that happens to us out of control, and my knees just buckled, and I just fell in love, right? It's a magical, romantical thing. When God says, no, love is a choice. Love is an action. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love. Verb. His love among us, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another because now we're empowered to do that in the true sense of what God's love is all about. This benevolence, this giving of good, this agape love, the sacrificial love. We know how to do that, not because of anything within ourselves. It's what God has done for us and in us. That's why it says here, he sent his one and only son into the world that we, What? might live through him. Our choice. 
See, we have a decision when we have truly been loved by God, we've truly experienced all that God has for us, then we choose whether we might live doing this, that we also ought to love one another. Because an act of love has been done into us, benevolence, we now have the power to act in benevolence to others. Only because God's love is in us, only because of a relationship with him can we truly love in the context of what God says love is all about. Piper defines it this way. God's love paid the highest price, the life of the son for undeserving enemies to give the greatest happiness. Let me break that down. God's love paid the highest price, the life of a son, for undeserving enemies. Guess who that is? Us. Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners. Other scriptures, it puts us as, as we were enemies of God because of our sin. Christ died for us. The benevolence. That's why when we've talked about this in the past about the chief end of man. From the Westminster Shorter Convention, the answer, that's the question that's on the test. What is the chief end of man? The answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Because God has loved us, now our intent in showing God's love is to bring glory to him. That's the benevolence part. And to enjoy him forever is the complacency part. That God's desire is that you truly enjoy him. God's desire is that you truly find satisfaction in him. God's purpose is that you will find guidance and protection, that you will realize that you are the apple of his eye. Psalm 17, verse 8. My reading yesterday, I'm reading through Psalm 17, I got to Psalm 17, it says, I am the apple of your eye. May I find protection under the shadow of your wings. And I just stopped there and go, wow. Do you believe that? That you're the apple of God's eye? Because part of that love of complacency is that God find satisfaction in you. I mean, for God to love you, for God to be, you, to be his workmanship, you're his masterpiece. God finds satisfaction in you as well, just like any, any builder of anything. I mean, one of the things, you know, Micah, he's a married man now back there. Uh, I've been married a week. Yeah, I... One of the things he wanted, Dad, can you build you know, kind of a wedding arbor for us? And we had a bunch of 100-year-old, basically, barn wood, some big old 6 by 6 posts, or 4 by 12 and, and so it was a joy to construct this. It was a joy to have my grandkids stand up on this 4 by 12 beam with a chisel and start chiseling on as we jointed it all together. And then it was a joy to see it, see him underneath it. And it was a joy. We moved it over to the brick area that I'm going to leave that up for a while because I just like walking by it. 
Because why? I created it. Do you believe God does that for you? I mean, when you talk about God's love, it's not just this Blake and where he loved the whole world. No, he chose you. And he chose you that when you choose to believe and have faith in him, and now he's going to show you the full extent of his love. That's benevolence. But he takes joy in you. That's complacency. Satisfaction. Because he's seen that which he has created be exactly what he created it to be. That's why you take joy when you make a cake or you make something. You just take great joy. You want to show it off. Taste this. Read this. Look at this. Because why? That, that, it's, it came out of me. I, I took joy in doing this to present this to you so you could enjoy it. God's love is there. We love because God first loved us. And in doing so, that we might also turn around and not only have find soul satisfaction in God, but that we would turn around and benevolently show love to other people only because we now know what, God, what God's love is all about. That God paid the highest price by sending his son to me who is an undeserving enemy to give me the greatest happiness one, to find fulfillment in him and to know someday he's going to usher me into the kingdom of God where I will live with him forever. That is the chief end of man, to bring him glory and to enjoy him forever. God's love of complacency, that we find contentment with God, enjoying him forever, and God's love of benevolence to us so that we can be benevolent to others. So the question I have is, are you finding contentment, complacency in God's love today? Because you only got today. Yesterday's gone. You can look at, did I find, you know, I found contentment yesterday. A couple projects I didn't get as far as I thought I was going to get. The older I get, the longer it takes, you know, that type of thing. But I found satisfaction in getting closer to that. I found satisfaction in God's faithfulness. Found satisfaction in how God operates. Are you finding more contentment in God's love, his love of benevolence that he's extended to you, salvation, his promises to you, his guidance, his promise of protection? I mean, I had Psalm, I want to say Psalm 15, could be 14, but um, could be 13 too, because they just all blurred together. But there's three times where, God, where David says, how long, God? How long, until you answer, how long is this going to go? How long? Boom. How long? Boom. How long? Boom. But at the end, it always says, but you're faithful. Your promises are always true. It's back to God's timing is never our timing, but his timing is always perfect. So the question today, how are you finding, are you finding contentment in God's love? Is salvation. His promises to you. Guys, you're not going to know the promises unless you're in the Word. His guidance. 
that he promised to, to guide each step. He's not going to give you the whole path. You wouldn't leave that house if you knew everything that was going to happen. But he gives you enough for your feet, holding up that lantern to see how far you can see today. His protection as he hides you under the shadow of his wings. That you're the apple of his eye. Love is ultimately from God. Whenever love is manifested, whenever love is shown, it points back to its owner and source, God himself. Next week, we'll talk about the loyal and everlasting love of God. Father, may we find contentment in you today. May we rest in the complacency of love with you, of what you've provided, and find pure satisfaction and joy of all the things you've given us. One, you woke us up today. You gave us breath, so that means you're not done with us. Father, we, get, we drove here in a car. We have clothes on our back. We, we're going to go have lunch or late breakfast. All the things that we just sometimes just take for granted. Father, may we find true contentment in your love because you are love. And you've shown us what that love is all about. That's why we can love in the first place. And may we show a godly love as we unpack this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.